This morning as we continue in the book of Nehemiah, there are some things that are very vital as you read your Bible. Number one is, as we read the scriptures, this is according to him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. The Bible says that in the book of Ephesians. Nehemiah should be no surprise to those who love, the, who love God because the scripture is but the testimony of God working out what he promised in Genesis 3 and 15. So as we read our Bibles, the things we ought to always be about is the amazement of the way in which God does work out all of the things in the Scripture. And very often, and we, we must agree, in the most unlikely of ways. It's certainly not the way we would have worked things out, and it's for certain the way in which the world looks at and says, that is foolish. That's God's design. And so this morning, as you and I consider, and the title of the sermon is temporary but necessary, and as you think about that thought, most of the things in this life that you and I will ever accomplish are merely temporary. Even the ark itself, as we go back into Genesis, was a temporary ship. Even the temple itself was a temporary building. Everything nearly that we look at in Scripture that those things have come and gone. They're temporary. The ship now has been covered by years of sediment. Everybody try, tries to find it, and yet nobody's successful. The temple, the tomb of Christ, the chalice of which he drank, all of those things are the pursuits of men. They serve their temporary function. But as we watch Nehemiah, who well himself could have considered his own work, and this would be the danger, as temporary and unnecessary. Is that the way you consider yours? Do you view your life and the things you do as temporary and nah, not very important? You see, the point of this passage clearly is to show the way in which God fulfills his promises in Genesis 3 and 15. Even when the world would look and say, it's impossible for God to do what he said in Genesis 3.15. It's impossible for God to honor his covenant with David. It's impossible that God would see fit to carry through the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, this book is set in place in order that we might see that completely wrong is the world and completely right and on track is the plan of God. That's the reason the book's here. That's first and foremost. But we can learn from Nehemiah's work. He raises up men like that. Many of those were named who laid their hands to the work and built the wall back. Your names will never be named in Scripture, but your work is like theirs. It's temporary certainly in some ways, but it's absolutely necessary in the cause of the kingdom. Else God wouldn't have saved you. You see, and so gather that up from what I want to share this morning. Sad would it be in your life had you been given five talents, two talents, or one talent. And the amount of talents is not the point here. It's the way you used them. Right? Wouldn't it be sad if you viewed yourself less than what Nehemiah viewed himself as, certainly his work and even the wall might be in some ways and completely right temporary. 
but he saw it necessary and vital. Is that the way you see your work? Or would you rather see and say, I got one talent, I buried it in the ground when Christ comes back? He's a, he's a gracious man. He won't look on me as I pursue the world and do my own thing and do it my own way. No, no, friends. God saved you for a purpose and put you in the body and in the scriptural New Testament, in the temple, and you're a stone in the building. You're critical to the work, and your work, though temporary, is necessary. So if this morning, uh, I hope that you get that point and leave with that reality. Your labor matters. We've seen in our own day this great push and the question being asked by many in our own country, does my vote count? Not trying to be political by any means, just making an application. And what if you leave and you fall prey to those who make you feel as if your vote doesn't count? And what if that's not only one but many? And what if the very goal is that very thing? And that's your mindset. Wow. What if in the church, it's important in the nation, but what if in a church, there's some that sit on these pews that don't believe that their work matters at all. Their participation is merely voluntary. Please, brothers and sisters, God saved you for a reason and gather that up from Scripture. See how Nehemiah fulfilled his plan and purpose. And it's very, very important that we're about the business, right? As the Bible teaches us. So here we have a man <clears throat> who's not a priest or a prophet or a preacher. He's, he has a job that many of you would want. He's sipping on wine for the king. Probably paid well and lives handsomely. But then all of a sudden he's taken out of his comfort by the testimonies of the brethren in Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing how God works this thing out? So here's this guy, probably born in captivity I'm, or in exile. His parents haven't only told him about what the temple looked like, what the land of Israel looked like. Had he ever visited? We don't know that. But he's in a foreign land. He's in a comfortable position. He's got a nice job. And all, we don't know if he has a wife or family. It never mentions that. But here's the testimony comes. That the people who are in exile, when he asks, well, how are they doing? Oh, they're in trouble. And they sat in shame. And they continually receive derision. Here's a man not born in that area, but you see the faithful testimony of a parent. Man, wouldn't you like to know who his parents were? They must have told him about Israel in ways that excited his soul. It was not only a city. It was the city God chose. You see, brothers and sisters, it's so vital, isn't it? The way in which we pass down the things we believe. And we see it in this man's life that someone passed down this great truth. You see, Jerusalem's not like any place else. Jerusalem is the place that the king of heaven chose to make his name great and put it right there. I'm convinced this man had read the scripture over and over again. He called God awesome. He knew of his work and his ways. Even though as a person born in exile, away from that glorious city, not having seen its beauty 
in its heyday, having now been a part of those who were under the judgment of God in a foreign land. He yet knew the reality and the importance of that great city. Why go back and worry about a city of such ancient days? So it was Cyrus the Great who said in a decree that the city would be rebuilt, the temple would be reestablished. It was Zerubbabel and Joshua who went back and began the process. The temple now has been complete for some near 30 years, but the temple stands and it can be accessed by anybody or in one sense taken advantage of by anybody. And the city laid in waste. There stood the temple by itself. You can hear the folks who would say, why would you go back and do such a thing as that? Build a wall. What uh, wall's racist? Anyway, a wall's foolish. It's a waste of time. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you leave such a job? Well, it was clear in his mind that the city in derision wasn't right for the name of the God of heaven. It was the testimony to men of the God of all the earth. And so his heart was gripped with this reality as a layman, as a man that did practical type of things. So off he goes, and we've heard that in the previous chapters and all that he's had to deal with. And isn't it amazing when we think, well, the king of Persia gave him some stuff. we got to remember this. Whose stuff was it that the king gave? It's God's stuff, right? Did you know no wicked king in all the earth owns anything? He doesn't rule his land. We've got to remember this is God's creation. It's been invaded by the wicked devil. It's been for a temporary time unfolding this reality of evil as it runs amok. But the reality of all things is God owns everything. You see, Artaxerxes didn't give his stuff. He gave God stuff. Just remember that. And so it is that he's about the business as he goes with the favor of the king. And we all know that he meets this, this opposition as he arrives. Well, his past opposition has been the promise that they would attack physically and come with swords and knives. As they were working, they would attack the people. Now, I was discussing this with my wife. You know, I live right down the street here, and I don't have a thought of another group of people coming and attacking me. Never think of that. I never think of our neighbors in Canada of which John Hogue's a part of coming and attacking me, right? But this group of people were all about that consistently. Now, if you live in different places around the world as some of our missionaries do, the reality is that your border would lie on the border of another and you see their skirmishes all the time. Yes, there was the testimony of your pregnant wife who had her belly ripped open and her baby pulled out by the neighbors. That's right. That's what the scriptures say. Guess what? In America, we don't have a wall. We have the oceans. Man, that provides a good place of protection for us as a people. Sometimes we struggle with this, you see. 
But these people were able to create issue, attack the people of God as they labored and worked. This is the setting of which Nehemiah finds himself. And so, after 30 years of the temple being there, now the wall was being put in place. And guess what for? Think just a minute about, and that's a, that's a healthy question to ask. Why is a wall being put here? For what reason? Some of us might have a hard time answering that question. Because you see, in our own country, we're seeing the reality of this, aren't we? And there might be some here on both sides. On our southern border. And you're separated quite a distance from that. And you might ask the question, why a wall? Why waste the money? Why keep people out? A wall in the time that Nehemiah was living was for one reason. Not to keep people in, to keep people out. Do you understand that? That's a challenge for us, isn't it? What was Nehemiah about preserving? The purity of the people of Israel. Why were they in judgment? Why were they under the discipline of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now the Medo-Persians? Why? Because they had gathered up the worship of their neighbors. They had intermarried. They had taken on their gods. That's why they were in judgment. They turned their back on God. They didn't see the necessity of purity and the reality of a wall in a fallen and a wicked world. Man, that is an important thing, isn't it? Where was the first wall built? Think about it. You see, you use stones because you don't have enough people to put in place there, right? <clears throat> On the east of Eden, right? Flaming swords. Angelic beings. For what purpose? To keep people out. Because men had sinned. And their plight was different. That's a reality, and we see it all over Scripture. And we know this, a city without walls has no chance of success. Jerusalem was no small city for those like Tobias and Ballot and Geshem. They saw Jerusalem as just what it was. At one time, a thriving power with powerful kings. It was no little city. It was no mean place. It was an important place in that area. So as you think about these people and their opposition, they don't want that city. They don't want that city protected. It could well mean for them the Medes and Persians come down and crush their area again, or it could mean something different. But what we know they don't want is that city protected. The worship of God preserved. The worship of God kept pure. They don't want that. So with all of that in mind, and remember that is critical as we unfold what this text in Nehemiah 6 says, all of this is true. Read your Bible and you'll see this is the testimony of the prophets and others. God's work always has numerous enemies and shall always. All right. So as we find Nehemiah in this particular 
section of Scripture, continuing to build a wall and nearing its completion, we find that the enemy has changed a bit of its tactics. You'll remember Pastor Keith taught us last week that many in the city who were Jewish had fallen prey to doing unbiblical things. So there was a problem without the walls outside of them. There was a problem inside the walls with the people. You're going to see that in chapter 6. Think about that carefully. As a church, it's not just that we struggle with the world, but very often you'll see that Nehemiah's struggle were with those who he thought were his friends. It's amazing, isn't it? So you're going to see that as we continue forward. So as the wall neared its completion, Nehemiah's enemies changed a bit of their tactics. They now called for a meeting. If Nehemiah wouldn't fall prey to and had heard from someone who had heard that they were going to be attacked and he set up and established a defense perimeter, which was wise on his part. Nehemiah, what? You're doing God's work. Why would you need a sword? But he knew he needed a sword. He was a realist. And you're going to see this about Nehemiah. Are you a realist about life and about God's enemies? And do you know that God's enemies are your enemies? Are you foolish when you approach them? Are you thoughtless and without discernment? We see Nehemiah's approach to all of that. Now they come to Nehemiah and invite him to a, a meeting. How many of you are involved in some kind of business? You get invited to a meeting, especially the local leaders of our community want you to be a part of a meeting. Well, that makes you feel important. They're going to have a nice meal there for you. They want to talk to you about some things. And so this was the situation with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was invited to... If Nehemiah was given to the thought of, well, you know, if I go to the meeting, I might be able to win their hearts. You know, the best way to understand the things of which he faces is to bring it into context in some things that we see around us. How best to negotiate with a terrorist? Give him money? Our country had for years refused that, knowing that that's not the way you deal with those folks, right? Nehemiah was like that. He was realistic about the ways in which his enemies would try to approach him and the ways he must handle them. They invited him not once but four times. My goodness, he could have thought to himself, I'm quite important in this matter. But you see, Nehemiah knew that it wasn't his importance that drove this meeting. Why in the world would he have thought such a thing? These people might have been good people, and they might have changed. Well, we find in the previous discussions about this same group of people, and I believe Nehemiah faithfully and like God wants us to in discernment, think through the invitations of others in light of what their past actions have been. And he thought about it. Well, their goal was to kill them, sneak into the city and destroy and kill in order that the work might stop. So Nehemiah thought, now why would they want me to come 20 miles from where I'm at right now, which is very close to the enemy's territory, and have a meeting? And he each time refused and said, and I love this, the work is great. Do you think that about your work? The work is great. It's, I'm too busy. 
Well, some people want to tell you how good you are and what they really think about you. What they really want to do is take flattery and spread a net for your feet. They want to catch you. But you think their words indicate that? Not at all. How many good and faithful men, how many prophets and preachers, how many businessmen in the community have been captured by the local politicians who want to spread a net for their feet because of their tired of their resistance? Numerous people. This is what they wanted. And he discerned their tactic. He knew that they wanted to take him out and kill him because of the things they had done in the past. As a church, as an individual, we live in a world where we interact with politicians and politics. We've got some politicians in our church, Gary Bossel and others, right? Not all politicians are like Tobiah and Sinbalat. Thankfully, as a nation, we have those in place who don't want to deceive but to do what's right. But there are those. And as a church, and when churches in years past, and the Catholic Church stands as a huge testimony, when you hook your pony up to that wagon, what ends up happening is that wagon drives the pony. And if you don't believe it, look at church history. These folks, like the folks in our day and the folks in every day, when someone does something they don't like, they're going to stop it at all costs. And if deception is the price, and if lying is the game, so be it. And the sad thing is that many folks, churches and Christians alike, are so naive. They want to think that people have changed. Brothers and sisters, this is not the way things work. So don't get trapped by naivete. And he refused to do so. And so what happened? It was revealed what they were really about. So you see, the invitations didn't work. And so what occurred at that moment? A rumor. You know how it is. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> we heard about you. And uh, we saw you drive your car by so-and-so's house. We're going to take that little picture we got and carry it down to the newspaper. You might want to come to the meeting. If you don't think politicians work like that, then you're simply being foolish. We've seen the display of it in the last six years on steroids. Right? If you don't do what I ask, I'm going to ask nicely the first four times. And then this is what they say. I'm going to play hardball with you. A half-truth is a whole lie with a deadly intention. Rumors. My, my, they can sell papers one after another. They can get uh, ratings on cable TV. They can cause us to look and worry about someone's personality, things that absolutely don't matter. They could bring up Nehemiah's former tax return when he was in Persia. They could bring up his parents' so-called struggle when they were in Persia. 
Spread the rumor. An open letter. That's what it means, you see. It's not sealed. It's open. It's like the inquire. It's open. It's wide open. Read. Nehemiah's trying to get some prophets to declare him as king. But at each point, you're going to see this danger of political favor. Had Nehemiah fallen prey to it, he would have been destroyed, maybe killed. The work would have stopped. The people would have looked. It's over. <clears throat> so he chose not to fear, the Bible says in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 6. He was discerning concerning their motives in verse 2, knowing that they intended him to do harm. And notice his response. This is where I fail so often. His response was self-controlled. He simply said, no. My work is more critical. My work is more vital. And then in verse 9, he prayed. What do I normally do when I figure out somebody's trying to who do me? I get mad. And very often sin, and God knows that. And I've had to confess it many times. And so Nehemiah is an excellent example, isn't he? Of what Christ did when he faced the politicians of his day. When they were more worried about tradition than Scripture. When they carried the favor of Rome and feared them. He not at one point gave in to them. Had he, there would be no gospel. Had he given in to the politicians, there would be no gospel. There'd be no truth. There'd be no rescue from sin. They would have derailed him. The devil through politics would have derailed him when Satan stood him up and said, You see, I've been given all of this world. You bow down and worship me. And I'll give it to you. I'm telling you, there's probably not one in this room who'd, who wouldn't have run after that option or opportunity. I'm thankful I wasn't there. I'm thankful he was there in my place in yours, purchasing our redemption by rejecting the political motives of the world. But if you think the political motives of the world aren't active today, you're entirely wrong, so be thoughtful. Be grateful that Christ resisted them. See how Nehemiah did the same. And you go and practice that same plan. Notice next. Now, you know, it's one thing to deal with someone that's political in nature. And you well know, especially in our day, what that really means. And kind of like a used car salesman, they've got a tag now, don't they? Don't believe anything they say in half of what they do. So we know that. But what about those who were in the church? Notice what Nehemiah had to face. You see, wasn't it a Judas, a disciple, a friend of Christ, who sold him for 30 pieces of silver? Wasn't David said it was his trusted advisor, Ahithophel, who turned his back on him to his son, Absalom? Wasn't it Paul who said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and all of those in Asia had turned away from me? Didn't John say concerning the church in 1 John, they were at a point a part of us. But now they've gone out. And wasn't in John chapter 6, when the testimony of those who had followed him and their own words was this, 
His word is too hard. We can't bear it. And they left. They left. That wasn't the unbelieving political group of the world. That was those who had appeared to long for the things of God. To want to come along with the ministry. Who wanted to throw their lot in with Christ. And what about Nehemiah? As he worried about the knives of the unbelieving. Now he saw what was most uncertain for him. A matter for a broken heart. When Shemaiah. And we don't know. He ended up at Shemaiah's house. We can, we can only um, guess maybe why he was there. But clearly it says he goes in verse 10 to Shemaiah's house. Why did he go? Did he go to console Shemaiah? Very well could have. It said Shemaiah was confined to his house. Was he sick? He might have been. Maybe Nehemiah was going to console him. Maybe he was invited by Shemaiah. That maybe is the most likely proposition. Maybe he went simply to be encouraged himself. He's a leader. He's struggling with his opposition. Where to go get some encouragement? Have you ever needed that? I mean, you're raising your kids, you're doing life, you're at work, you're struggling, somebody's opposed to you, you're fighting a battle, you're tired. You need somebody to encourage you. Maybe it's that very reason that Nehemiah went to Shemaiah's home. Whatever it was, he went. And the Bible says when he got there that Shemaiah, far from encouraging Nehemiah, tried to get Nehemiah to do something that was entirely wrong. Man, I think of this man in light of that. At times when we're around those that we believe to be on our side, we let our guard down, don't we? Don't we? Sure we do. We simply assume they think like we think. They're about the same things we're about. But boy, what a lesson we have here in Scripture. You see, God's enemies transform themselves into angels of light. You believe because some man's a preacher or has been for 30 years, he's always going to be like he is. Don't believe that. If I stand in this pulpit and preach something other than the gospel, don't you believe me. I don't care what my record is about, don't you believe me. And you see, Shemaiah, He encouraged Nehemiah to run because they're after you. Run, Nehemiah. Run, Nehemiah. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you tonight. Can you imagine the thoughts of this man? He gave up a good job. He came to a land that was very difficult. He, at his own cost, was serving the people. He was feeding those he brought. He wasn't taking the money that he could have been taking He was serving them for the cause of God. And now Shemaiah, who was a prophet, along with many of the other prophets, were on the bankroll of Tobiah and Sanballat. And were encouraging Nehemiah to run. Good people, you at many times in your life have had that experience. As a kid, you remember looking down a dark alley thinking, oh man, I got to go home and I got to get from here to there. And it's awful dark. 
you wanted to run, but you knew if you ran the opposite way, you weren't going to get home. But boy, weren't you tempted to do that. And many of us in life, we look at it and we think, wow, you know, we like water. What's the path, path of least resistance here? I'm going to go that path. I'm going to do what's easy. I'm going to go ahead and hide. I, I'm tired of this. The wall's about done. They can finish it. They can set their own gates up. I'm going to do... I'm going to get out of here. That's not what he did. And I'm thankful that's not what he did. You know why? <clears throat> even though that was a trusted advisor, even though he thought they would be spiritually like-minded, even though maybe he had gone and worshipped with them at the temple in between the work going on there, on the wall, even though he'd held his hand and prayed, even though maybe he read the Bible with him, he understood that his words at that moment would do nothing but destroy the work. And as hard as it was to do opposite of the counsel he just received, you see, we don't know what this is like until we've been put in this situation. When it's somebody you care for and love and respect has asked you to do something you question and you know it's probably not the best thing. Can you imagine what's going around in his mind? Maybe you've been there. You've had a pastor friend or an advisor who on an issue that was maybe in his mind not so important and wouldn't be wrong to maybe paint this thing gray. You were asked to do something you were uncomfortable with. What did you do? And here's the, here's the problem. Nehemiah could have saved him. He could have took the council and ran. He could have. What would it have cost him? It's not just what it would have cost him. But it's what it would have cost all of those folks who were building the wall. You see, the whole goal here is to engender fear in Nehemiah from the political powers and the spiritual powers that be. And would this not be a struggle for a man like Nehemiah? He understood from Tobiah and Sanballat. But now from the prophets of God, from those who worshipped in the temple, why would they not want the wall built? Why would they not want to be faithful in this matter? Well, to them, they wanted to be ecumenical. You see, in their mind, God was far too strict. They were going to broaden the borders. They'd been convinced by whatever reason that to broaden the borders would be more godlike. Nehemiah, you're too strict. And so what he did wasn't to discuss a reason with Nehemiah over the Scriptures, but to seek to get Nehemiah to do something that then would put Nehemiah's name in a bad light. Have, listen, folks. You are tempted to do it. I know because I've been tempted to do it. And the church is tempted to do it. And pastors are tempted to do it. When somebody rises up against you or against another, you would love to find something against them. Former church I pastor, never forget. 
deacon came to me and said, I've never seen this in my life. Situation came up where we had disagreement with somebody. This man, who all of his life was a faithful man, was looking for anything that I had done so I could be gone. Anything. Give me the phone records. Give me this. Give me that. Recently experienced that in a situation in my own company when somebody ran into the back of another. The folks representing the other person looked for two years trying to find something so that settlement could be larger. You think, folks, don't look for things. And so at Nehemiah ran the Tobiah and Sanballat and Geshem could have published the reality that in fear he ran for his life. Why are you going to stay? Your leader is gone. That's why George Washington rode in the front of his group. That's why he was willing to stand against the bullets of the enemy. That's why as a leader that he was willing to do what he did. Because it inspired the people who followed him. And you and I have to be willing to stand against those moments when fears gripped us and do what's right. Like Nehemiah. And even in the face of the crucifixion, when he knew that nobody understood, when he was going to drink the cup down to the bottom, when nobody had a reality of what it was like to stand under the wrath of God. In those moments when he sweat drops of blood, in those hours when he was in agony, when all of his friends had slept, he didn't run in fear. He didn't call down 10,000 angels. He could have. He could have. But he didn't. But he bore up under that reality and died in our place. And now we worship in freedom and look forward to glory. And so Nehemiah refuses the temptations of these spiritual leaders in this moment and rejects their counsel. And he realizes when he's asked to hide in the temple that he's not a priest and it's not legal. Had he not known the scriptures like in Numbers and Leviticus, had he not known the history of a king like Uzziah, who thought himself in arrogance and pride, big enough to go into the temple, and he left with leprosy. Oh, you see, they tempt us in such spiritual ways, right? Just deny this in the scriptures. Just deny that. See things as different. There, got, there has to be more than one way. You're being foolish when you believe that Christ is the only way. Church after church, preacher after preacher, give up the truth. Don't follow them. Nehemiah didn't. He stood faithful. He saw the ends of their plot and their ploy. And I tell you what he did. He left and not following their counsel. He realized that choices have consequences, brothers and sisters. You choose to run today, you, use, you lose your influence tomorrow. If you don't know what the Scripture says, you're left to your own thoughts, and they're sure to fail. You must be a realist about those that you're dealing with in this life, be they preachers or politicians. So what does he do? He says no. <clears throat> he rejects their counsel. And he prays. 
follow his lead and you'll be successful, right? The last thing that we'll note from his particular situation is this danger that lurks in wanting the favor of others. <clears throat> the praise of men. <clears throat> you see, hell's full of them. <clears throat> hell is full of those who knew the scripture that loved the praise of men. It is full of them, brothers and sisters. And you're tempted with it constantly. You want people to like everything about you. If this wasn't the case, fake, Facebook wouldn't be so popular. Selfies wouldn't be the thing going on. I'm telling you, it's in the heart of men to long to be loved by others to the degree that they'd soon have that in the favor of God. So you see in the last part, so the wall was built. <clears throat> That's kind of a short statement for something that we've been looking for the whole time, right? So the wall was built. <clears throat> it was finished, completed. That's neat. Then what happened? Then all of a sudden you see the reality of procrastination was no longer a problem. Good intentions didn't fall. Pray to a lack of follow-through. Now the wall is built. and It's a testimony to the unbelieving nations around them. And fear gripped them and their self-esteem dropped. Wow, what would a counselor say about that? He just cost the self-esteem of many. <clears throat> so was he, had he desired to buddy up to the world in this sense and be woke, the wall wouldn't be built. And you know the sadness of it is some of us in here would have to wrestle with that because in our minds, here, here's the thing, it's easy for you to look at history and dissect it and discern it and be critical of it. Real easy. Watch our world do it now. Man, they've cut up everything in history, slashed it, destroyed it, demeaned it. All of those who stood faithful, they called them all kinds of names. They rest in a grave and can't defend themselves. Here's what's amazing about it. <clears throat> that's a reality and that's comfortable. But as we sit here this morning wrestling with these things, where would we be? Would we be like the spiritual prophets and prophetess, Noadiah and Shemaiah, who would see and hear and take the counsel of the politicians and say, this wall's not necessary, it divides. Is that what we'd be like? And we'd be like the unbelieving nations who once we saw something like that accomplished, kind of sink in our bosom and heart. You see, these people were real people. These people had names and phone numbers. Not phone numbers, but addresses. All right, addresses. They were real people. They had kids. Some of them were good people, hardworking, diligent, business owners, all kinds of people. They had to make this decision about what they saw. Was it based on facts or rumors or fiction? Were they more concerned about Nehemiah's personality or were they more concerned about what he was doing? Isn't that amazing today? I tell you, I don't choose a doctor because of his personality. I choose him because he's qualified. His personality makes a part, clearly. But that's not the last and most important part. If we don't even know anything about Nehemiah's personality. We know about his convictions. Man's convictions are far more important. So we see in this man that he doesn't seek the pleasure of the unbelieving world 
As a matter of fact, they were totally against him. And then here's what we notice with a broken heart. The nobles in that area who'd been taxing their people in their own community and charging them interest and got upbraided in chapter 5 were sending letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah was sending letters to them. And they were conniving and conspiring against Nehemiah the whole time. People in his own community, people who were going to the temple in his own place, were conspiring against him with the enemy the whole time. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Why? Because Tobiah had drawn them into contracts. They had invested their money with him. He was their stockbroker. Hmm. They were so concerned about their investment that they were willing to give up the man of God in his cause. They were willing to stand against the wall in its purpose so that their financial clout could be forwarded. If you don't think that's a challenge today, in your life and mine, we're entirely wrong. It is, isn't it? And here's Nehemiah. He learns after the wall's done that all of these letters have been going back and forth. All of the flow of information. Had he longed to be a people pleaser and find the favor of the nobles of Israel. He would have failed in his work on the temple. Had Christ come and worked, he after the favor of the multitudes, he would have been unsuccessful in his endeavors. They turned their back on him to the degree that he said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Wide is the gate and broad is the way, and many that go in thereat. The hell opens its mouth wide and gathers up the wealthy of the world and all of those who pursue its ways. Brothers and sisters, it's true then, it's true now, and shall always be true. Should you be in any way surprised that things go like they go? No. They went this way for Nehemiah. They then went this way for our Savior. And guess what? They'll go this way for you. They will. But the excitement of all of this is what? God's plan's not thwarted by all the letter passing and all the conspiracies and all the wicked of the world and their power, might, and wealth. It will never be thwarted. I thank God for that. He raises up a man like Nehemiah and steals strength and grace and uses him for his purposes and his glory. Something that temporary certainly, but necessary, yes. And so what about today? He's raising you up for the same purpose. You'll have the same kinds of enemies. Don't be surprised at that. Nehemiah prays. He's gentle and gracious towards his enemies, as Christ was. But he was faithful and direct, as Christ was. And what we see in Nehemiah that he was successful. And what then does it point us to in a much grander and greater way? You see the wall now to us, it's not even standing, that particular wall. 
It's been attitude tore down, build, rebuild, this, that, and the other. But what's the reality of all of this, brothers and sisters? It served its purpose. Guess who was born and brought eight days old into that temple? When Simeon held him in his hands, what did he say? I can depart in peace. I've seen the consolation of Israel. When Anna took him up, she knew and understood this was the redemption for Israel. It served its purpose. Christ came to save sinners. He's not building the wall. He's building the kingdom, isn't he? You see, the wall was temporary, but necessary. This kingdom is eternal and everlasting. There will be no end to his peace. There will be no end to his government. It rests on his shoulders. He's everlasting to everlasting. So we're not focused merely on some temporary wall. Or some man called Nehemiah. You see, it's just one little piece, one little sliver in the line of history of where Christ, our Redeemer, has come. He directs the world for its glory. Take heart, Christians. The world hates you and they love its own. They always will. There will be some even in this church who will depart into the world. They will. And don't let that turn you aside. Christ loves sinners and is successful. So together our voices can be raised to this great reality that in everything He will be glorified. Every Tobiah, every Sanballat, every politician, every false prophet will one day bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And here's the exciting reality. We do it now. And we don't do it forced. We do it because we love you. And if you're here and unbelieving, it's not only a question, will you be a Tobiah, a Sanballat, a Geshem, or part of the world whose self-esteem drops when the cause of Christianity rises? You are those things. You can't be anything other but those things. But today, Christ can save you from it. If you're a believer who's fallen prey like the Shemaiah or Noadiah, You've been trapped by the wokeness and the foolishness of this world. Repent, brother or sister. Christ loves his people, doesn't he? And he's the advocate for them. So I offer that to you as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ. And we are so thankful for the unfolding story of redemption and how we see you at work in all of these things. And we rejoice in your great name. Thank you for this book of Nehemiah and how we see you work. Thank you for this man that you strengthened by grace who found himself, I'm certain, many times with thorns in his life in order that he would be humble that you might use him. Thank you for these people under the hearing of this word. Might you do a work in their hearts, we pray, for the sake of our Savior. Amen.